0: don't know about pod position is the moment that it's a few like like seconds of sheer panic when i sit here and like and then think to myself i don't know how to start a show <laughs> but have you ever known how to start a show that's the thing like Never. well here's the thing right if i if if something hits me I, oh, I've got something to talk about. I've got some stupid fucking phrase um, that can kick something off. Then it's okay. Mm-hmm. But I don't always have that. And then you have to flail wildly
1: and come up with a solution where you let people behind the curtain or something like that.
0: On the sp- Yeah, where I just tell... like The amount of times I've started this show with I've got nothing because there reaches a certain amount where like, you can't... Like, when, when Laura sinks us up, yeah I've got less than a, than 30 seconds to come up with something Before one of you two will think I've finally snapped
2: I mean, you always have the option of saying to us I need a second to think of how I'm going to start But that's an option Oh, oh, wait a minute
0: <laughs> Lori, you've hit upon a very novel idea Yeah, of thinking about things in advance <laughs> It's called speaking up when I need help. That feels a little bit like admitting defeat to me, I don't know. It feels like if I admit I need help once, then you will see me as weak and close <laughs> in for the kill. I've got a very healthy um, thought process when it comes to my relationships.
2: I mean, as someone who also never accepts help, um, I'm uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I can't remember the last time I asked someone to help me for something, or even allowed them to do so when they offered.
0: The thing is, I'm really worried if I if I show a moment of weakness in front of Conrad, he will yell. Staling has fallen! I am the new leader of the Decepticons! And I just can't have that. I've got to think about my rep as leader of the Decepticons. Yeah, and I have been waiting a long time for that. Well, you've been very open about it. That's one thing I admire about you, Conrad, is people say you're you're a duplicitous two-faced Decepticon, but you've always been really honest with me about the fact that you're waiting for me to fail just once, so that you can stab me in the back. Right?
1: I think that that engenders a better working relationship, ultimately, when everybody knows where they stand.
0: Exactly. I mean, I could blast you with my big arm laser that goes, like that. Anytime you wanted to. Anytime. And promote someone else's air commander, which was... Someone loyal. Someone loyal. But the thing is, is you don't know what they're thinking. Soundwave, on paper, is the most loyal of my troops. (laughs) Because Yeah. Uh but you can't see his mouth. You don't know it's what he's planning. You can't trust a person whose mouth doesn't move. But this is why Optimus and I fell out. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just said, take it off. And he said, No, no, the virus is still here. And I'm like, take it off, I don't play that shit. <laughs>
2: uh-huh. <God. laughs> so I've got a thing to start this episode on that yeah. I, I wanna share. I've been getting more emails from my psychic. My, my no, hang my, on. Oh. I, we,
1: I, I'm sorry. I do have to interrupt. I, 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 I have to just appreciate how brilliantly executed that was, Steph. That was... Oh.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you. I was pretty
0: proud of it.
1: It was so good. And I just don't want anybody to have slipped past and not taken the moment to just pause and think, wow, Steph nailed it.
0: Thank you. Ah. Thank you. Justin, if you could now just cut in some applause from the crowd, (laughs) that would be fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Uh, Laura, I'm very excited about this because you, you did tell me earlier in the week that your psychic lady has been stepping up her game.
2: Yeah, so you know how, like, previously, my psychic lady, I've talked about her on this show before, she sends me, like, daily spam emails, and it's never the same twice She's been going for fucking months and still sending me original, unique stuff. Basically, promise that you are some sort
0: of moon goddess and yeah. will unlock powers if you buy things
2: from her that you can get on Wish.com. Yeah, and the, the stories get very elaborate, but the, the 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 powers she offers are always very nebulous. It's always like unlock your um your all powerful moon goddess powers or unlock your powers as the archangel michael <laughs> never saying like what powers you're going to actually get in any kind of definitive sense and i think she's realized that she needs to be a bit more specific to grab me in so mm. let me let me let me read to you from what i've observed in your life using our mediumistic link It seemed to me like your current circumstances fell short of what you really wanted. (laughs) However, I'm here today to offer you this three-wish-granting chalice. Holy shit. Now that is an upgrade. Yeah, she's being specific. It's going to grant wishes... She's told me how many of them they're going to grant. <laughs> like She's offering me something with like an actual tangible, yeah. I will sell you
0: this. This isn't some nebulous unlock your powers
2: bullshit. This is three hardcore wishes. <laughs> yeah, buy this and you will literally, like in a thing with a genie lamp, you will get three wishes. What I love
0: about this
2: is this has been <laughs> going on for months. You've yes. been getting, you know, these
0: vague promises in exchange for money What I love about the psychic lady that emails you Is she's <laughs> thought to herself, right, Laura's not falling for vague and subtle Yeah She'll definitely fall for three magic wishes <laughs> If I've not fooled her by trying to be grounded and reasonable, I'll just get even more extreme. The less uh, believable I become, the more likely she is to believe me. But then again, it worked
2: for Goebbels. So here's the thing. This this one is like one of my favourite emails I've had from her because not only does she offer me literally like, hey, rub this chalice, get three fucking wishes. I've tried that pick-up line, by the way. It doesn't work. You just get a slap in the face. <laughs> She's got a real, like, story about how she came into possession of this wish-granting chalice. It's quite a thing. Oh, God. Well, allow me to sit cross-legged on the floor. Yeah, let me get you ready for story time. Mm Mm-hmm. Have you heard of the Monastery of Tundra? I know you haven't, simply because its location and existence are a secret. You could look on Google for hours or days and you wouldn't find anything. Some people would use this to argue that this monastery doesn't exist, that it's a legend, but I know that it exists, and I have proof. I have been there myself.
0: Like, I would agree it doesn't (laughs) exist, but I wouldn't follow that up with it's a legend.
2: (laughs) In the Monastery of Tundra, totally cut off from the world, there live seven monks. These seven monks never leave, and they don't speak to anyone, because they're the guardians of a thousand-year-old secret. When I arrived at the monastery, totally exhausted and off my journey of several days, I was presented by my Sherpa to the seven monks. Much to my surprise, they weren't all that surprised to see me. They hadn't seen strangers in over 70 years, yet they greeted me with a calm familiarity because they knew I was here for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they they, they they apparently gave her a holy chalice of granting wishes, yeah. a holy chalice to grant wishes, My favourite thing, I haven't told you about this fucking chalice yet. If I told you I was getting a magic wish-granting chalice, Conrad, what do you think the item I would receive would roughly look like? Just vague terms, what would it look like? Okay, now, am I coming up with this
1: answer based on having the context of knowing everything that has come before this, or are we (laughs) just talking straight chalice? If I just said
0: to you, Conrad... Come on over, check out my cheeky chalice. Right. Actually, let's scratch that if someone
2: who wasn't me said that. Right, okay. If Linda said, hey, I'm coming home, I've got a chalice with me, do you want to have a look at it? What would you expect to be pulled out of a bag? Um, probably
1: something made of silver or pewter. Um, adornment, maybe holding a volume of six to eight ounces.
2: You say holding a volume, I assume that means you would be expecting a cup shape of some kind.
0: Yeah, something to put liquid in, yes. When says Chalice to me I think of a chalice
2: Yeah I think of like A a cup A chalice Mm -hmm. Yeah yeah You know a fancy cup Not what I have been shown The holy chalice Of wishes granted Oh no It's A flat circular pendant On a necklace That could not hold Any liquid Oh There is There is no Liquid containing Chalice like nature To it. Mm. it Doesn't have like A stem or a base What you got there Is some sort of Talisman Um So Here's my favorite thing, and I didn't tell Steph about this. Underneath the picture of this, I got sent. Perhaps you don't know, but a chalice is a sacred vessel—a vessel in the shape of a cup. Oh, really? <laughs> huh, do you know that? Which is, which is used during religious ceremonies, and they're just like. The the chalice that I have been sworn to protect and deliver to you isn't like other chalices. Yeah, in that it's not it's a chalice. chalice. chalice
1: Yo, yeah, did <laughs> they uh, my question, did they find out what the definition of a chalice was after they'd had this made? And now they're like, hey, guess what I learned through this process?
0: Not had this made, had this ordered on wish.com. Let's never forget that Laura
2: can just buy all of these
0: things for like
2: two pounds. I did, I did on the internet for about two pounds by a fully charged moonstone that she was trying to charge me a 100 quid for <laughs> to unlock my moon goddess powers.
0: Oh god, this is like the difference between paying for pills in the UK versus the fucking US.
2: You should turn around and
1: offer them to them for half the price that they're charging you. Mm.
0: <laughs>
2: oh, So, I... I haven't received any emails back from her, but I have occasionally been emailing her back now. Like, oh, I'm so pleased with my, uh, moon, uh, my moon goddess stone that showed up without me having to even send you any money. The universe just works in miraculous ways. <laughs> and I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> nice. she'll eventually get pissed off and email me back. Probably not. It's probably just an automated computer, but I live for the day. Did I get an email back? You've got enough law
0: now to produce, like, a, a, seri- a television series of children's stories. Call it Jackass Nori. Here's the here's the problem now. Y- you do that, and then one day this scammer's going to show up at what uh, residuals? Well, we've had this discussion before. Like, can you call it plagiarism if they're claiming it's your life?
2: <laughs> yeah, Look, she is telling me that it's not a lie and she's telling me it's not fiction and that this is my real life and therefore I have every right to monetize my own life. But they should still try to sue because it would be very funny.
0: It'll be the trial of the century. Oh,
2: uh, I, I would have the best time of
0: my fucking life, so. That'd be fucking great, mate. They'd have to play this podcast in the courtroom as evidence. <laughs> <laughs> Bum farts. Imagine that. Oh, imagine that. The judge will go bum fart. Roy, I never.
2: Like that, and his monocle will pop out and land in his whiskey. Uh, so this is the bit where I remind everyone it's Pogquisition and we talk about video oh, yeah. games sometimes here because we're like thirteen minutes in and that's largely my fault this week. We can talk about games if you want. Yeah, who's who's played a video game? They want to talk about. Um,
1: uh, mm-hmm. I've I've played some of them video games. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so I uh, I played. The Good Life?
0: Mm. Oh, I was looking forward to that for a long time until I played Deadly Premonition 2. I was too, and I, I, didn't, I haven't played a lot of The Good Life. I have played enough
1: of The Good Life that I can confidently say that I was wrong and I didn't want Sweary to make Deadly Premonition 2. <laughs> I wanted them to make The Good Life. I wanted them to make The Good Life after Deadly Premonition. Because it's Deadly Premonition, without the edge and with some heart, from what I can tell.
2: Yeah. I, I, I really hope that's the case, because that, that sounds
1: nice. Right, and I haven't gotten deep into it. Um, I can't speak to all of the con- that content that's in there. S- someone that I know has been playing it pretty significantly and is giving me the sense that maybe this is not going to be a problem. Yeah. I can understand anybody who's just like outright not willing to support Sweary after what transpired before. I'm done personally, yeah. Yeah. I totally get it. And for the record, uh, it's on Game Pass. I didn't play it on Game Pass specifically for that reason. Yeah. I did want to take a look at the game. I uh, certainly managed to. Find a means by which to play it. Mm-hmm.
2: As someone in the camp that's just kind of done with Sweary, I did talk to some people who have played a lot of that game to ask some questions that if you're not totally done with Swery and you're just looking for, is, is he going to avoid fucking up in that same way with this game? What I can say is a theory I had going into this was... Oh people in this village turn into cats or dogs are they going to gender code who turns into which and then use that to do some transphobic bullshit no no that's not a thing it's not gender locked and it seems like there is no trans for the first time in years where he hasn't felt the need to wedge a trans character into a game and that's probably for the best yep so
1: yep it's uh
2: you
1: yeah, know it, it is it's really unfortunate because it it is very similar to Deadly Premonition mm. in it, it, a lot of its sort of gameplay sense and tone and, you know, wandering around the town and taking time to talk to people and engaging in little activities. And all of those things are executed better than they were previously. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels to me like this is the kind of game that Swery wanted to make but got locked into Deadly Premonition, uh, both because of the way that project went in development initially and then uh, almost a victim of its own success, um, leading to what happened and how much further wrong it went. And that's really unfortunate.
0: No one gave a shit about what Deadly Premonition 2 did outside of us and a handful of other people. Yeah. 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 I'm so sick of of the community and the press not giving a shit.
2: Also, fun fact, just as a side note, a bunch of people expected emotional labor out of me for that explaining to them why it was shitty. Like people with real fucking big platforms would get me to give them very lengthy explanations, didn't want to watch my videos about it, wanted me to explain it to them personally, and then didn't credit me at all and would just parrot my talking points as if they'd come up with them. That was real shitty. There was a Tonight. lot of people who were like, ah, oh, look at look look at me. I have well formed trans and just ugh. That was just fucking exhausting that game. Yeah. Yeah. It was not it was not fun having Sweary repeatedly tweet at me and then delete his tweet seconds yeah, later that and was... do it again then delete it seconds later. He did a lot of quote tweeting me and like running away as soon as I tried to respond to his criticisms. Yeah. yeah. It was not fun. There's Like,
0: on a personal level, there's not coming back from that. Like, once he started doing that to you,
2: like... mm -mm. I could maybe have come back from Deadly Premonition 2 being a bit transphobic if he had... If he'd taken it on the chin? Yeah. If he'd taken it on the chin... If he'd done what his first statement, that sort of red background JPEG he'd done, where it seemed to be, I understand your criticism, it is transphobic, I will edit the game to fix that at that moment, I was very well willing to go, "Sure, I'll play your future games you've owned up and then he started digging his feet in in weird ways, and yeah mm,
1: yeah yeah so i i did I did play it uh you know because well, for one, I was undeniably curious. Um, And second, I kind of figured one of us probably should.
2: Agreed, yeah. Uh,
1: And I knew it wasn't going to be either of you. That's a good choice, yeah. And uh, And I certainly don't blame you. If you like the gameplay of wandering around a town and talking to people and meeting interesting characters and solving a little mystery, it does all of those things. It does them competently. Um it still has a bit of the jank that you would expect from a game produced by these people. It's fine. If you want to if you if you if you're still on board, it's fine. I'm probably not going to play much more even though I I don't dislike I don't dislike it and if I could separate it entirely from who was making it, I would probably love it. But I I won't do that. And and it's going to take more than twelve hours to play, and I won't do that either. So, but it's out there now, and doesn't seem to be a complete disaster.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was looking forward yeah. to it for quite some time. I, th- I backed it when it was, you know, being crowdfunded, but I just, I'm just done with the man and his bullshit.
2: Yeah, yeah. <sighs> it's a real shame. Yeah, and maybe look, maybe time will things differently and he'll say the right things down the line to go okay, it seems like you've learned from Deadly Premonition 2 in a way that I'm willing to engage with you again and maybe I'll play this in future. It sounds nice, but eh, I don't have enough time in my life to dedicate to to that.
1: Well, exactly. There are way too many other games to to play and things to do. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna... I don't think you're missing a revelation.
2: Yeah.
0: What about you, Steph? Have you played anything this week? Oh, yeah, i played games. Don't you worry about that. Yeah. What, what ones have you played? I've played some. I have played... Well, I had fun playing Back, back for Bloods with you and Jane and Posh Cat.
2: Yeah. I, I, I've been playing considerably more of that the weekend. Mm. Uh, how, how, are you, how are you feeling about it, mate?
0: I've been playing considerably less. Yeah? Yeah. Like, it's okay on the Recruit Difficulty. And I'm like, okay, this is fine. And then I put it on the other one. It's just, I can't be doing with four fucking tall boys spawning at once. I realized just how generic it made the game feel, that unlike the carefully placed um, infected in Left for Dead, like special infected, here it's just, well, let's just spam you with them. Yeah. Because they don't stand out from the crowds. They don't have, like, the the... Unique silhouettes that the the special infected had they're just slightly f- fleshier zombies uh I, I I got bored of it very quickly. It feels slow and it's okay it's fine, but it's I just went back to World War Z because uh, they had the aftermath expansion came out recently um, so it's just more World War Z. I really like it. It is significantly more brainless than something like Back for Blood. But I like that because it's just the zombies do the, like climb up in big pyramids like they do in the film. That is nothing like the book, and everyone yeah. hated the film. But I kind of like it because I like what they did with the zombies. Um, so they, you know, climb all on top of each other um, to make these big zombie pyramids to climb up. And it's just like there is something. Almost stress relieving about just firing into that Like firing at the bottom of the pile And making the zombies all fall over Um, So I enjoy that They've added I think they've added it I don't ever remember it in the base game But they've added rat swarms They can fuck off Mm. Just these swarms of rats that just They go near you and then you fall over And you are covered in rats I don't need that in my life I don't need wild, unaccountable rats in my life um, I'm scared of of vermin. Not so much pets. If you've got a pet rat, I've got no quarrel with it. It's when they they're unaccountable. Rats that are not responsible for their own actions. That's what I've got a problem with. Same with mice. I'm deathly afraid of roaches. My general criteria is if it's small enough to be picked up in one hand, but big enough that it will make a noise if it hit the floor. I don't want it moving and alive in my presence. Get rid of it. The last week in Mississippi, well, last two, I think, one or some mice or rats got in. Oh. I don't know where from. It's fucking Mississippi. Animals happen all the time. And this wasn't a particularly um, protected house in terms of that. It was a massive wet basement down there. So... It was a fight against roaches. Um, first week I moved in, I saw one. And then that was a year spent in constant horror. Um, but yeah, last, last two weeks, just a final fuck you from the great state to me. And I was terrified. I can't be doing with that. I can't be just sat there minding my own like business. And then just this dart, darting shape goes across the fucking living room. I can't live like that, Yeah. Laura and Conrad. I can't live like that. That's not a good way to live, I understand. I don't need it in my games. <laughs> I say, as someone who gave Game of the Year to uh, Plague Tale,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I
0: fucking love that game. The rats to horrify me. Um, it's face your fears, isn't it? I like World War Z a lot. Yeah. I like it a lot. You can put down electric traps.
2: Hmm.
0: Electrics, electrics, the zombies. Yeah. More iconic, uh, or like more standouty, uh, special infected in that than in *Back for Blood*, mm. and they're not super impressive. Although I do like the their version of a screamer. Like, they've got, like, a your typical screamer zombie, but they're construction workers who have been hardwired into their um, loudspeakers. Oh, that's Ooh. cool. So it's just this metallic screech. Um, yeah. It's really good. I like them.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, and they're, their version of, like, the big, bruty one is, is a riot cop who's just big and hulking, grabs you and smashes you, and they've got a gash in the back. And, you know, it, that's fun.
2: Hmm.
0: Oh, that reminds me of a game I didn't put down. Yeah? I'd, yeah, just... It's a game, because it was super cheap. All the Lego games are super cheap on Switch at the moment. Yeah. And I got the OLED, and I'm like, well, maybe a bright, colourful Lego game will make me regret less the OLED's purchase, because I can play it on the screen and be like, oh, yeah, that's OLED-ish. Cool. Uh, And I got, because I remember playing it when it was on the Wii U, um, so nostalgia.
2: Oh, yes.
0: But I didn't think about... Well, basically, it's Lego City Undercover. I thought, open world Lego game, cool. Immediately started it and was like, oh, yeah, I remember. Cop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the difference between me now and me in, like, the mid-2010s when this came out. Mm-hmm. Mid-2010s, ha-ha, <laughs> fun, I'm... Sh- I'm catching the bank robbers. And now, me playing it, like, what pushed these little yellow plastic men to rob the bank dressed as clowns? Mm-hmm. What in society pushed them? Was it $300 for some fucking ADHD meds that insurance is giving our soul about covering? Could that be it, society? I'm sat there thinking, where's the critique? <laughs> Where's the critique of the police system in Lego City
2: Undercover? Well, it's clearly Mm copaganda. Yeah, exactly. It's trying to encourage kids that being a cop is fun and good and encourageable. Plus, it's wrong,
0: because in Lego City Undercover... You work as a cop to protect people while running around smashing up property, which is literally the opposite of what a cop does and prioritises.
2: Yeah. Well, I I mean, it's not the opposite of what a cop does. They still smash up property, but only when it's in a protest they're trying to make look more violent than it was. Oh, that's true. Yeah, if I was pinning the smashed property on Antifa. Well, yeah, there's a difference
1: in what we determine to be property. There is property and then there's Real property. Yes. Real property is defended. Your local target. Personal property, fuck your bag. Yeah. But private, you know, real property. Yeah, no, 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 no. At all costs. Stand in the line, link arms, swing batons.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I got the code. The, there are character unlock codes for the game because you can switch ca- quote unquote disguises and stuff. Yeah. So you be an alien if you want or, a, <laughs> you know, a... a pop star girl which i went on because she had pretty plastic hair um just like me and that was fun and plus you feel a lot less like a pig mm-hmm. when you're in a astronaut suit
2: <laughs> you know what that's reminding me of a game i really enjoyed but like had to actively work to make feel less copish than it was yeah astral chain mm. fantastic game mechanically Uh, There is customization systems that you can use to remove as much cop branding as possible off of your character, and your character's existence is look, you don't follow the rules and you don't obey what the the cops tell you to do and you're basically there because you're a superhero that the cops need help from and you end up, like, actively being like, no, cops, you're wrong, fuck you, and rebelling against them. So I feel less bad about it, there's some critique in there, but I did have to go through going, how can I make it so you can't see the word police written on my fucking summon? There was one interesting
0: mission Mm. in Lego City Undercover, and it's... Foiling a group of robbers who are on a rooftop, and it's got really simple, like uh, Assassin's Creed almost um, parkour and stuff. Like one button press, jump up, like over a Pipe, press it again, you slide under the next one, you do this cool wall running, you catch up to the cops, you arrest them one by one, uh, you corner the uh, last one, um, slide tackle under him, slap the cuffs on, and then plant drugs on him. Ah, uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. hmm. I thought that was interesting. Yeah.
2: Yeah, very, very interesting for a children's game to go there. Yeah. yeah. You don't see that very often, I mean, just in, in video games generally. Sliding this little white
0: bag into his pants pocket, just saying, "What do we have here? Some ah. cocaine that you took, you bastard!" Oh god!
1: Oh my god! I've just had. Okay, all right. <laughs> we need to get Netflix on the phone because I've got it. I, I've got. I've got. Right. A si- it's perfect. Right? Okay. Right. There's a uh, a murder in a city, and uh, and in order to solve the crime. The police detectives wind up inexplicably hooked up with the uh, brother of the victim, right? Right. Who's a stage magician. <gasps> oh. Yeah. Just think of all the possibilities for planting evidence or setting up really contrived scenarios to reveal the killer. I mean, there's there's money in this.
2: There's money in it? That, there sure is. So yeah, Steph, you you started this by talking about Back for Blood. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, I have been really enjoying Back for Blood under very specific circumstances, and I want to talk about how this game is balanced. Yeah. So having now played a decent chunk of Back for Blood myself, I've played through like I think like the first two acts of the uh the the campaign. Yeah i i will I will admit that there are like very fair critiques to be made of. All of the zombies and the special infected are all kind of forgettable. None of them are as iconic and memorable as anything in Left 4 Dead. Here's what I'll say. The biggest problem I had playing this in four-player co-op on stream the other day was that there was a ridiculous difficulty spike in the number of um, special infected being summoned. That is considerably less of a problem in two-player. It feels like there is a real... Issue with how they have balanced Difficulty compared to Player count because two Player co-op me and Jane played through the first two acts without A single failed mission Having a really good time and none of that ridiculous Oh god there's like dozens of Special infected and the second we destroy them There's more and ah what's happening None of that bullshit My experience of it was very much Playing a yes a little Generic but there's lots and lots Of Zombies and the level design Was pretty alright and I consistently felt Pressured by the number Of zombies around me and the fact they were Everywhere but not impossibly Overwhelmed by that And I had a really good time And I had a much Better time than I had in Four player. Fun fact Two player is also the minimum you need to do To progress and like get all the Unlock stuff so yeah, two player is much more enjoyable, much better balanced. G- talking just generally, I quite like the system of uh, picking which upgrades between levels you're going to apply and sort of building your build out that way. And I like being able to stop and buy little upgrades and materials between levels of the run. Uh, some of the set piece levels are pretty fun. It's not Left for Dead, but I'm having fun with it. <laughs> Yeah, I played a good like a good few hours of it And I want to play more That's good Yeah I'm having fun I'm having a good time
0: Yeah I You know I didn't hate my time with it Yeah It's just I was underwhelmed And then I just went back to I need to check out Vermintide Everyone keeps bringing that up to me I played a bit of it And liked it But then never followed up But yeah I just went back to World War
2: Z in the end It's just more my thing That's entirely fair I'm um- I'm glad I found some some fun in it, even if it is only because of the player count I played at. I had fun, like I said, playing with you and Joan and Poshcat. That yeah. was good. It's nice playing with other people. Just that four-player difficulty is not balanced right. Uh, Conrad, what about you? What have you been playing? Uh,
1: I played... Well, we played... Tanuki Sunset. Yeah,
2: have all of us played that? Did you have a chance to check that out, Steph? The Tanuki on a skateboard game. Oh, yeah, not yet. No worries. Well, me and Conrad have played a bit of that.
1: Yeah. I like it. I mean yeah. t- tremendously. I think it's a I think it's a very, very good version of what this game is doing. And if it sounds yeah. like I have some hesitance in my voice as far as recommending it.
2: Uh I do as well, and we'll get to that. Should we maybe explain what it is and how we came to be playing it first?
1: Yeah. So it's a it's an on-rail skateboard game, sort of. Like it's a like um imagine if you were playing a skateboard game where you were in a fixed view behind the camera, and so you're just sort of rolling forward and everything was rainbow road.
2: Yes. There's no uh barriers on the sides of the road you can fall off. And there's very colorful uh, backgrounds around you. And so
1: when I say that this game is a very, very good example of what it is trying to do, what I mean is it is a game that has a very real sense of the kind of precision and skill that it wants players to have to be able to play it well. Yes. It's not forgiving, but it's not unfair. It's never unreasonable.
2: It doesn't control poorly, and it very much feels like, okay, it, it's very simple set of mechanics available to you. Yes. And it expects you to get good with a limited set of things you can do.
1: Yes. It has a baseline expectation of where your skill level will need to be to progress, and it's a hard limit.
2: Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's unapologetic about that. And I think that's okay.
1: Yep, absolutely fine. Uh, It's something that I think players should be aware of going into it. But um, because, like, it's basically one long level broken up into segmented stages. And then within those stages, there can be a few checkpoints along the way. They are very long. They're... Very long.
2: Yes, I, I think maybe get this out. We should get this out the way early. My biggest problem with this game is that segments between checkpoints can be very lengthy. And if you let's say keep getting to the final turn in the road before a checkpoint, maybe three minutes into a run and falling off that corner again and going, I have another three minutes to try that corner again, that can be frustrating.
1: Well, and something that I can say, uh, that I really both appreciate and respect about the way the run is designed the level design as you uh, you might call it yeah is that it features randomization of of certain road elements that will appear in random sequences and it's about mastery of those individually yeah that becomes so important It, it has to reach a point where the order in which they appear is inconsequential because you know how to handle each one of these segments perfectly which i like that because that does make it really about your skill at executing the maneuvers and not your skill at muscle memory memorization of a run
2: yeah and i think like the the narrative of what's going on in this lends some sensibility as to why this is set up the way it is because like yes the, the the plot of this is that you are a skateboarding tanuki that wants to become the most famous skateboarding tanuki in the world and get on the front cover of a magazine and i think that having this like wants to be the very best possible trying to push their limits really sets itself up well narratively to this kind of difficulty setting Mm
1: Mm-hmm. and that's like i don't want people to get the wrong impression and think that i don't think this game is good i think this game's excellent
2: i'm having a lovely time with it like for like a little bit of context we got contacted by the developer of this game going hey i heard that you didn't have a great time with skateboard game about fun animal on skateboard here's my fun game about animal on skateboard and very different totally different approach very different approach but like it does address most of my problems i had with skatebird yeah. in that <laughs> it it controls well it has an actual concept beyond yes animal on skateboard is funny that's the joke better visual and audio design pretty good writing it's funny yeah more of like an interesting narrative thread to pull you throughout a sense of progression in how you unlock your customization stuff. A sense of of a world outside of it as
1: well that is uh very cool.
2: Yeah. It basically it it's not the same kind of skateboarding game as Skatebird, but it's scratching a lot of the things that I hoped Skatebird would. Right. Yeah. And I'm having fun with it. It's yeah. The
1: gameplay is just it is so different and that's totally fine. I love the drift. Yes. I am so bad at it, but I love (laughs) the drift. I love the bits, which are um, little collectible items that appear on the track.
2: They're little Doritos. They're like little Doritos to pick up. (laughs) They make little munching sounds when you get them. (laughs) And once you pass the first uh, segment, because the controls
1: are so basic. I mean, you really just left and right with the stick, one button to go into a drift. Forward and back speeds you up or slows you down. Right. And then um, if you press X, that's like your trick button. Yeah. But when you're on ground, it operates as a revert. And this is significant because once you get past the first stage and into the second, they introduce these spinning four bit items and if you can execute a revert and capture all four of those you get a little bonus of extra bits
2: oh it's quite a big bonus you get like 20 extra bits it's great yeah 20
1: extra bits was just how you get to buy all of the stuff now i haven't reached a point in the game yet where buying anything does anything other than a change cosmetics and i don't know if that's Ever the case.
2: Yeah. So far it has only been cosmetic and I'm okay if that's the case and I'm okay if it turns out to be mechanical later. But here's what I love
1: about the bit revert maneuver. First, you get a super cute animation when you execute. Second, it fucks
0: you
2: oh god yeah
1: because that animation interrupts your function to move ever so slightly ever so briefly and so you have to make the call in the moment am i gonna be fancy and go for this and screw myself or am i just gonna collect a couple of bits and move on with my life and actually finish this level
2: yeah because the way it's paced is very um you do your, your your revert and then there's a second or so where it feels like it's your tanuki going. I need to get my bearings and be like, right, yeah. I'm, I'm stable again before they can start turning again. But when you get and when you get the bit, it's it's extended even longer, like you say a second. And, it, yes. and you
1: know, oftentimes we say colloquially a second in reference to time passing in a video game. And it doesn't really mean that it's it's fractions of a second. This is effectively a second it really is i think a second
2: yeah like it's like a full second and like if you see those one of those bits right near a turn <laughs> yeah you gotta really make that call yeah
1: it's uh, so i love that um and i like its approach to unlockable stuff yeah i think it's really interesting and challenging for example. Uh, there is a bird that you meet. Oh, that, oh, that bird, yeah. Right, you hmm. meet this bird, and it's like, hey, come chase me! It's right after you finish the first stage and start. Uh, you get to the first checkpoint of the second, I think. I think that's where it is.
2: Yeah, it's, it's one or two checkpoints into the set of the first uh, first proper level. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. It's in the first level.
1: It's it's past the 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 checkpoint, and the bird shows up and encourages you to chase them, and so you do. And if you catch them, you'll get whatever reward that they're holding. And they move pretty fast, and so you've really got to have the pedal to the metal. And you get one shot. Yes, you get one shot.
2: And here's the thing: all of those customization things you can later go and. See save up and purchase in the shop is my understanding. Okay. If you want to get it now and you want to get it for free, you've got one shot. There's a thing. Go forget everything else on the level. Do this. Yeah. And it's,
1: it's so cool. I just, I love that. Even though I know in my heart that personally, I should be very frustrated that I'm now going to have to go back to the entire beginning of the stage, play through that lengthy section to the checkpoint and then just to get the next attempt.
2: Yeah, but but because it's personified as that one slightly cocky bird, you're just like, mm. oh, I'm gonna get him. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking get you. Yeah, yeah.
1: I know I came into this sounding like, oh, you know, but I, but it's really more of it, it has to be a thing that you're going to enjoy because it is so uncompromising in being this thing. That I can see it turning people off
2: It's not going to be for everyone And there are caveats I feel the need to get out of the way Before I get excited about it But I really like this game Yeah Also, the other thing I wanted to say About that, that bird chase as an example I really like that a lot of the Encounters like that you come across Are very focused on Hey, you know there's like A limited number of things But there's multiple things You can be focusing on Forget about everything else And just do one of them for a while mm-hmm. And I like that so far In my experience They have very much been focused on like Okay, don't worry about getting bits or doing doing drift, uh, drifts for this one. Just go fast. Uh, like, different things for different ones. It has encouraged really hammering home that one part of your tool set in nice ways. Yeah. 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 It's really neat. It's a very cool game. It's not going to be for everyone, but it has successfully satisfied my itch of, I want to be a cute animal on a skateboard doing a cool skateboard game.
1: Over a vaporwave background.
2: Yeah. Yeah, with a good soundtrack. That that soundtrack's real nice. Yeah,
1: good soundtrack too. Yeah, it's a, yeah some jams on there.
2: Yeah. Yep, yep. I like it. Yeah. Steph, you played anything else this week?
0: Uh, I've played games. Yeah, what ones you played? Uh, do you remember Dusk? I do remember Dusk. Yeah. Yeah, I've been waiting for it to come out on the Switch for years. The The publisher... And, and their, their
1: PR agent are a couple of the most entertaining Twitter follows. If you're going to be engaged in uh, oh, yeah. gaming Twitter, Dave Oshri and, uh, and New Blood are, are very good follows.
0: I got a message from Dave Oshri yesterday that was, all caps, I promised you a review code on Switch three years ago. Here it is. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, that actually came at a good time because I was recovering from a thing and had to lie down for 24 hours. So that came in and I played that on my Switch OLED so that I could look at it and go, oh, that's a bit (laughs) OLED-ish. And like I've played it before and I really wanted it on Switch because I get like that about certain games. It's really good. It's it's a 3D first-person shooter that looks very similar to, well, you know, really early 3D first-person shooters. Polygonal not quite like Doom or Wolfenstein or anything, more like Quake, I guess. Although it thematically and stylistically, it's very reminiscent of Blood, um, which is a just a classic Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of edgy first person shooters i like blood a lot Uh, and i like this for the exact same reasons it's got the that similar atmosphere and and the right amount of gore and really cool sort of culty looking enemies it's got a lot of scarecrows and i like scarecrows as a spooky thing um so you've got scarecrows with shotguns or scarecrows that shoot a bit of green at you The only real slow point I have with this is the same I have with a lot of these games where there will be moments where you're running around going, where's the fucking key? Yeah, there is also there. I was stuck on one bit because a switch on the wall just looked completely indistinct from the rest of everything else. uh, So I missed it. But outside of that, like it's got real nice music. It's got um, very cool retro visuals and, and monster designs. It's really fun and it works well on switch it's got the gyro aiming that helps you use it if you use it in conjunction with the right stick to aim then it's actually really good it's a good little fine tuner yeah. um is the gyro stuff i i noticed that with quake as well and pretty much any sort of fps especially these retro ones seem to benefit a lot from just that little bit of motion for fine aiming
2: yeah it's always how i enjoy playing splatoon i like doing stick for yeah. most of it and then a
0: little bit of gyro yeah splatoon is a is another one that does that well gyro is a good compliment Mm. it shouldn't be the only way you can aim pokemon let's go (laughs) um but it makes a good compliment especially for a shooter yeah so i'm really enjoying dusk yeah
2: yeah i played one other thing this week and this is like the big thing i've been playing i played the next one of those dark pictures anthologies uh super massive games those uh, Until Dawn people doing their annual little horror things. Right. So we've talked a bit about this on this show before, because like, I've played some pre-release demos and seen some presentations. And this is the one that's set in 2003 Iraq. Right. And that has a playable Iraqi soldier as one of the five characters who barely showed up in any of the presentation beyond he's going to be there. Right. And that was a concern for me going into this. The first thing I want to say off the bat is that that is not representative of the final game. Okay, I'm just going to say this. The Iraqi soldier character Salim is the most interesting character in this game. He's the most likable. He's the most interesting character. And it really feels like marketing buried his existence because they wanted him being likable to be a surprise. Look, I'm not the person who is best equipped to comment on representation of Iraqi characters in video games. Uh, the game is not out yet, so I cannot point to anyone else's writing at this moment, but I will do once the game is out. From an outside perspective, it did a lot of the things I worried this game wouldn't do. It presents Salim as a character who has a rich, engaging Positive life outside of his involvement in the military It addresses things like the fact that He is in the military because of compulsory service And that that is a thing It addresses his perspective on the American invasion of Iraq And there are options you can make to have him Really stand up for his perspective and his side of Hey, fuck off you are not the good people here. The core of the plot, at least at the beginning, is, hey, we're looking for WMDs. You play largely as a bunch of um, very hateable dude bro American soldiers. Like, one of them is wearing a Never Forget Nine Eleven hat and constantly talking about the people of Iraq as if they are not people. Like, that's your starting point for this horror game. I think they do a good job of justifying some of the things, like, they hit on the fact that... The military looking for WMDs was in large part because we have to find them now because otherwise America is going to be a laughingstock on the world stage. It touches on things like the ways that American soldiers are taught to dehumanize people from other countries and... Specifically the very patriotic flavour of military love that came from right around the time that Saddam Hussein's compound was being toppled And it's like America was very much like, yeah, we're saving the world It seems to handle a lot of that very well It does so in a way that you unavoidably will experience bigotry happening towards the cast's one Iraqi character for at least a while There is no avoiding that, and that's not going to be pleasant for everyone But yeah... I think it did a much better job than I feared it would, in terms of not feeling huge, not feeling as America apologist as it could have done. In term, I don't want to say too much about the 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 specific type of horror it, this is going for, because each of the games in this anthology have been very different horror themes. I think it's very spoiler-like to say... They they find a big underground cavern. There's not WMDs down there. Dun dun dun. Yeah. There's there's definitely inspiration from stuff like The Descent. There's lots of like, oops, you're in a very dark, very claustrophobic undergroundy space. There's some really creative interpretation of a particular kind of horror trope that I really enjoyed. I think more than perhaps either of the two previous Dark Pictures games. It takes a very well-known horror trope and combines it with a couple of other things to make it feel very interesting and very dramatic and very well thought through. It is easily my favourite of these Dark Pictures games they've done. It feels like they finally found a really good rhythm on this one. There's a few, like, uh, mechanical changes to this. Uh, You now have full camera control rather than being fixed perspective. That is largely so you can aim a torch around because it's uh, in pitch black. There is difficulty modes now. Mm. If you play through it once and go, I really just want to see what's going to happen. If I if I didn't fail any QTEs, what would this be like? Uh, there's a bunch of accessibility settings and difficulty settings you can do to basically make it so that only the choices you make make a difference and not anything else, really. Things like... You can make it so that all your quick time events are always the same button or you have longer periods of time to hit them. All those kind of things, which is very appreciated. I'm glad it's there. There's no option to make your window of time to pick dialogue options any longer, which feels like a weird oversight. But otherwise, like, yeah, yeah, I very much enjoyed this. The characters are all interesting. Most of them are very hateable in that kind of way that's sometimes good for horror, where it's like, look, if you get fucking murdered, I'm going to cheer a little bit, and that's fine. Um, And like, you know, maybe you'll have your arc and I'll be happy you get out by the end. But if you get murdered early, I'm not going to lose any sleep. Yeah, I really like House of Ashes.
0: Nice. Cool.
2: It was better than I expected.
0: I never did get very far into the the other one, the witchy one.
2: Uh, Yes, uh, Little Hope.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, Little Hope was inconsistent. I think this one does a much better job of pacing itself and keeping its plot moving and going somewhere. Cool. Yeah. Have either of you played anything else?
1: Uh, I did play one other thing. Um, It's called Nuclear Blaze. Mm. Uh, This was uh, sent to me by uh, someone who Knows my love for firefighting games.
0: Ooh.
1: Yeah. It's you know, just, it's one of my favoriteest things. And this is a really interesting one. It's presented as a 2D platformer in a, a very low resolution sprite pixel design. Does fantastic animation. With, with with so few pixels. It, it's yeah. really interesting how, mm. how well they execute that. And you're exploring an underground facility that uh, you've become trapped in as a firefighter coming to put out a fire in it. And as you go and explore, you discover that there is some sort of thing in there that you're going to encounter. It it evokes metroid
0: yeah yeah it's funny i had just seen the game like i was looking up things for maybe do a square you play of, and then had just seen nuclear blaze
2: oh i've just seen this is from the dead cells creator yes it is mm, that that has me interested oh hello
1: oh and hence hence the great you know uh, low resolution sprite animations yeah, yeah yeah it evokes metroid uh in terms of its tone, the way it sets mood, the uh, approach to building suspense and dread. The music is very Metroid. But mechanically, and in its design, it is a stage-based puzzle platformer, effectively. Yeah. You move through stages, uh, putting out all of the fire in a stage, uh, sort of working methodically around... um, often interacting with environmental objects like valves or uh fuse boxes, uh switches that open up doors and create new paths, and the fire fills in and moves and grows around you. And so you may have to readdress sections that you'd previously been in at a level. But it's all relatively fast and, and quick to play. Uh, it has a uh a dodge roll that is very much like the dodge roll in Dead Cells in that it is a specific distance. And so you have to learn to execute that effectively to land in the spot that you need to. But it's also very malleable. It can be done in air from the moment that you get the ability to do the dodge roll. And you have some interesting control and timing associated with that that's very, very good. Um, Over time, you get your hose with the ability to spray upwards, uh, to spray downwards around you and create a shield from incoming flame. It does a lot of very clever things with very basic tools. Mm. It's creepy. There's a cool narrative in it. Uh, It's challenging, but fair. They do include checkpoints in some of the longer levels. Um, They don't make you walk back into a room um, past a story point to start a level if you die. Because it's a one-hit kill also. You hit fire, you're dead. There's a little bit of a grace period, uh, very, very brief, less than, you know, a second to where if you're in fire, you can be getting out of it. Yeah. There's armor pickups that will give you resistance. And this has some good difficulty accessibility in that you can set the number of – increase the number of hits that armor can take in the game. You can uh, adjust a couple of other values in the menu to just reduce the difficulty a little bit. I think, you know, so if you want to get through the story but you're running into some challenge – Every time I die, I think, oh, that's that stupid thing I did. It never feels like I was, you know, caught off guard by something. It does a pretty good Mm. job of clearly illustrating for you the first time you encounter something, how it's going to work and how you're going to overcome that challenge. And from that point forward, it doesn't hold your hand about it. It just presents them to you and expects you to address it within the context of the other things in the room. But it's very fair in that approach. It does backdrafts uh, indoors, which I love. It's so cool. It's, you never know when you're about to break down a door that, you know, there's fire on the other side. If it's going to blow out at you and you're going to have to dodge quickly. It's neat. It's a very fun game. It
0: looks cool. It looks like something that would really distress and upset me after 10 minutes. But it looks really cool.
1: <laughs> it seems it can seem intimidating. But again, it just sort of approached as a, a I'm going here, I'm going here, I'm going to go up through here. It really shows you pretty clear pathfinding through all of these. It, it's, it's, there's few points at which I got to a position where I thought, oh shit, I got myself backed into a corner because I didn't know which way to go. Sometimes you back yourself into a corner because you screw up. Uh, there is a limited amount of water in your tank that you can carry. You can run out and get trapped. Uh, it's pretty forgiving. Uh, you have to have been fairly careless in your water use to run out, although there are points where it could get a little tight. But yeah, it's it's very well designed so far. I feel like I'm probably uh, at about the midpoint right now. And I've only I've only put in I think maybe two and a half three hours so maybe it is longer than that but it feels like it's just kind of a nice tight condensed fun experience um, th- but you know they're still introducing new elements to me too and I and, and I get the sense that they may be doing that right up until the end and I'm I'm enjoying that aspect of it too. Uh, it's it's a very fun
2: game, very well made. Nice, good, good. Yeah, it does look good. Mm-hmm. Should we do a couple of bits of news, nice and quick? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Um. So first of all, there's more news about that Twitch leak. Uh, there's a couple of stories. First of all, Twitch finally released a statement about that leak. Didn't think they would do this from their side, saying what has and has not been included in the leak, or at the very least saying. Don't worry about blank mm-hmm. So their statement is As we said previously, the incident was a result of a server configuration change That allowed improper access by an unauthorised third party Twitch passwords have not been exposed We are also confident that systems that store Twitch login credentials Which are hashed by Bycrypt Were not accessed, nor were full card numbers or ACH bank information It primarily contained documents from Twitch's source code repository As well as a subset of creator payout data We've undergone a thorough review of the information, including the files exposed, and are confident it only affected a small fraction of users, and the customer impact is minimal. We are contacting those who have been impacted directly. So, they're saying, don't worry, everything's fine. It's just source code, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, it seems to overlook some questions people have been asking Twitch, such as, does the source code being out there make it easier for people to make tools that could circumvent the current security measures on the site? Like, that's a very big question Twitch does not answer here. But your password and card number probably are fine, according to Twitch. That said, there are some things that were in that that Twitch didn't talk about, one of which I'm just going to pull up now. People digging through it have been trying to, you know, themselves work out what's there. Apparently, the leak included a Twitch do not ban list. This is about 5-6 years old. It's apparently from 2015. Um but according to a report from the Washington Post uh, that spoke to several former Twitch employees about this, it seems like internally at Twitch, there are two sets of rules for how moderation is done. There is a set of rules for partners and there is a set of rules for people who are not partners. And that tracks with everything
1: on the platform, so that shouldn't surprise anyone.
2: Yeah, this is like a, the, the starting point, is that people who are partners will get some additional leeway about breaking of rules, which is not necessarily surprising. But apparently on top of that, there is a list that at least in 2015 existed at Twitch of certain streamers who were to be given special... Ability to break the rules and not get banned for it The shock The shock of it all Yeah, so some of these are some are somewhat understandable um, or, or more understandable than others Some of them include, say, Twitch moderators There's an example given of a Twitch moderator Who would sometimes have to babysit their child while visible on screen And they would get reported for... Breaking the rules of having children visible on stream, and as a Twitch moderator, Twitch were like, look, we're going to make an exception because you are doing important work for Twitch. Others are more interesting. Some of the examples on there include people who were Twitch partners and got kicked off of the partner program because they broke the rules. But Twitch was reluctant to kick off the platform entirely because they still made too much money for Twitch. Are you kidding? Now that they're not partners, they're making even more money for Twitch. Exactly. But specifically so they could go, give them the leeway you'd give a partner, Without them being partner, like, we can't have them visibly be partner, but give them the leeway of it. It's what
0: we see on Twitter, it's what we see on YouTube, it's what we see on any of these, like, platforms that generate money for people who aren't them. Yeah. The one consistent rule is be popular. That's the golden rule.
2: Yeah, it's it's the rule throughout all of this. Like, all the examples that they specifically give are a streamer who... Back before IRL streaming was a category, would do IRL streams and everyone else would get banned for them. But he was really popular, so he was allowed to do them. You had people who like, oh, this person gets huge numbers of views. Like many of these people are in the top 100 most paid people on Twitch. Have reputations for verbally abusing other players or making inappropriate comments, but they make money, so they're given additional leniency. There was this guy. I don't know if you've heard of him. He used to make content. Yeah. And it would get,
1: you know, br- he had get pretty, pretty wide distribution, huge audience for the the stuff that that they uh, that they produced. Um, and for years and years and years and years and years, were just a. An abominable human being. Weinstein. You heard of him? Harvey Weinstein? Yeah. That's this. That's what this shit is. This is Harvey Weinstein shit. And you can dress it up in, you know, it's not that type of abuse. It's this type of abuse. Oh, the power dynamic isn't the same. No, this is the same thing. There's a separate set of rules that exist for people who give money, who provide income, profit motive for the people
0: who write the rules. Yes. It's the same deal. Yeah. Be successful. It's the one consistent rule to success if you tried being successful.
2: Yeah. Other stories we have this week. Mercury Steam are the company that made Metroid Dread for Nintendo. Very polished, very well-made game. Unfortunately, here's why I didn't talk about about Metroid Dread again this week. Some not great stuff about that studio has come out, so... This is not unique to Mercury Steam, but they're the latest company to have had a headline like this come out. They've not been properly crediting their employees. They've been letting people do work on their game and not letting their name be at the end and saying, yes, you worked on this. So according to Spanish website Vandal, several uh, former employees recently went on social media to basically tweet at Mercury Steam going, hey... I can see assets I made in this game why am I not in the credits why can't I see myself in the credits yeah so in a statement uh that was that was given Mercury Steam tried to justify their choice the same way that these companies always fucking do The company's official policy requires developers to have stayed at the studio for 25% or more of a project's development time in order to appear in the credits. Mm -hmm. Sometimes exceptions are made for exceptional contributions, but blah, blah, blah. Bullshit. That's all it comes down to is bullshit. Yeah, they have a thing that says like, oh, you worked for us, but you didn't work for us for long enough. You don't get to be acknowledged.
0: Yeah, this is all too common in the industry it keeps happening uh, if you're off the project you're like just completely persona non grata you don't
2: exist it's a tactic used to get people to stick on projects that they no longer want to stay with the, to keep people like stuck in a company to do things like getting them to agree mm-hmm. to definitely not mandatory but really suggested overtime and to punish them for leaving It's to punish them for
1: having the audacity to do something for themselves.
2: (sighs) yeah. So, it's shitty, and they're not the only company to do this, but, like, hey... People who enjoy video games, be aware that this happens and like be vocal about it not being good and that you want to see people credited for their work on games. It's petty and it's harmful. Yeah. Also, you know why this doesn't happen in other industries, but it does happen in this industry?
1: Uh, it could have something to do with... Uh, uh, hang on, hang on have, uh, I'm thinking of a five-letter word.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... <laughs>
1: Starts with a U and
2: ends with a... Union. Yeah. As VGC noted in a report earlier this year, part of the problem comes down to the fact that, unlike the heavily unionised film and television industries, there are no real regulations regarding crediting in the games industry, beyond unenforceable guidelines written up by the International Game Developers Association that have no punishments or any actual... nothing if you don't follow them. And can
0: we, like... like Look at this as an answer to these people that think companies will just do things because they're nice or good to do. Yeah. That they don't need regulations to get them to act fucking right. Because to credit someone for the work they have done is such a simple, no-cost fucking thing to do. And they still have to be strong-armed into doing
2: it. Yeah, like, if they're going to go out of their way to not credit someone for work they've done... That's not a thing they're just going to change their mind about. Hey. No. We either need regula- regulation or unionization or both. You know, it, it, everybody's plugged into the Git.
1: <laughs> There's an API. Yeah. Write some code, extract it. You don't even
0: have to put the names in. Yeah. It's a, da- it's a database. It's right there. It costs them nothing. But it's a little tiny bit of control they get to have, a little bit of extra dictatorial power they can have over another human being. So they want to keep it. Sorry, I said another human being. A human being. And they want to keep it. And they will have to be forced to change their policies on this, because otherwise they will just keep shrugging and saying, sorry, it's policy.
2: It's like we were saying with the, uh, the FIFA interview news last week. These companies will not change their bad business practices on their own accord. No. They will keep doing them until someone makes them stop.
0: We literally need these unions to be a thing. Yeah. it would. I mean, we found out about Paradox because of it. Yeah. The abuse of Paradox was found because of unionization, because
2: of a union, because of some represent-fucking-tation. A very quick passing bit of news, but just like... An annoyance at FIFA Continuing to do All the bad stuff we already know about FIFA FIFA 22 has a problem that can make the game basically unplayable for people with vision disabilities, which is an impressive feat, considering that these games barely change other than the characters in them from year to year.
0: And considering EA had been opening up its accessibility patterns... Yes, yeah. ...including things for, you know, visual impairments, for visual
2: disabilities, like... Like, this is probably an oversight, but it's a real bad oversight they need to deal with. The short version, when you're doing... FIFA Ultimate Team Games You can customise the match you're playing on And the way this always worked in the past Was that whoever Is like the The away player, the person who's connecting To someone else's pitch Will just see the grid lines of the pitch Done normally, no matter how the custom Settings are done, because that is Clear and visible and accessible That is not the case in the new one And you can customise your lines so that they are Basically invisible and People can connect into a match and go, I I just don't get to see where the pitch is for this one, huh? And then get punished if they quit out of the match because they can't see where the pitch is. So that's bad. You should probably do something about that, EA. Also do something about everything else wrong with FIFA. Oh, hey, there's more Activision Blizzard news this week. Oh? More than 20 Activision Blizzard staff have now exited the company since sexual harassment lawsuit became public, with 20 more disciplined. Mmm... The details come from Fran Townsend, the company's controversial chief compliance officer in an interview with the Financial Times So, bear in mind anything here is through the lens of Activision Blizzard trying to make it sound like they've done things. Yeah, and it's coming from the chief officer of
0: compliance,
2: <laughs> which is a
0: job title that someone has. Yes, they they make sure people are compliant there.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember why Francis Townsend is described as controversial? They're the one that uh, worked worked under the George W. Bush administration. Yeah. Yeah,
1: they've they've made some people compliant. Over the years mm-hmm. They they know how to do that I'm not saying that their hands were holding the bucket or the rag But they, they might have told somebody Where to get a bucket and a rag
2: Yeah So I'll read what Townsend has said It doesn't matter what your rank is What your job is If you've committed some sort of misconduct Or you're a leader who's tolerated a culture That's not consistent with <laughs> our values We're gonna, we're gonna take action <laughs> Wow Oh that's like that's kind of like a perfect
0: diamond made of compressed shit. Their values is not getting caught. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's that's the values that they're betraying. That's cause for, for being disciplined is disciplined. Um, uh, not even let go, just disciplined. Um, probably moved around somewhere. Well, see,
2: here's another thing. Apparently, Activision Blizzard has hired three additional staff to investigate, report, serve, harassment, with 19 more roles within the company planned. Please don't regulate us. Hey, hey, fun, fun thought. Maybe, Activision Blizzard, you shouldn't be hiring the people doing the investigation. Maybe that should be an outside company doing that investigation, because people you hire to investigate might have... I don't know, a conflict of interest, perhaps.
1: Gosh, you know who might have the resources to fund an investigation if such an organization existed? Who? Why? A union. Oh,
2: those sound really interesting Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. fun. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. They might be able to use union dues to do something like uh, fund an external investigation that might be less likely to overlook certain things. Bobby Coddick's a chicken shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just offer that thought. Out into the world Look, what I'm about to say here is not based on any evidence But this is my gut feeling about why we're hearing this news right now I don't think it's an accident that Hey, we've uh, let 20 people go and um, Yeah, they've not said fired Uh, 20 people have exited the company Which sounds a lot like they probably were able to leave of their own volition Admitting no wrongdoing and not on the record being in trouble They're probably talking about that now because a week or so ago, we found out that the main lawsuit they still had hanging over their head seems like it's about to crumble. And this is a great time for them to go, see, it's all fixed. There's no lawsuits being loud about us right now. We let some people go from the company. We're great. (laughs) Like, that's the energy, right? Mm -hmm. We've got something that's not that to end on so that we can... Before we get to that,
1: there's another thing in here that I think you may have overlooked or... Forgotten or decided not to do, and I can't let you do that because I don't understand it and I need it explained oh. to me because this is some convoluted, complicated bullshit. I mean, that I will never engage with, but for some reason feel compelled to know. So, what the fuck is happening with Animal Crossing?
2: Yeah, okay, so I'm gonna try and before we get into responses to it, I'm gonna summarize what happened. Last week Nintendo had an Animal Crossing Direct And they started the first half of it By basically giving everyone as a free update Basically every single thing they'd asked to be added to the main game It was like everyone's dream update Fantastic, everything we could possibly want Coming for free really soon, wonderful The second half of the presentation uh, Was about a DLC And it's quite a substantial DLC Um, You can go to other islands Make little holiday homes for animals It's Basically it's own little spin-off game that you can access within Animal Crossing. It's based on a 3DS game called Happy Home Designer and there's some stuff from it that you can bring back to your base game if you if you buy the DLC that'll be things like um oh you can add partition walls to your building and this and that. And then we got to where the fucking direct got very confusing. So we've known for a while that Nintendo was planning something called the Nintendo Switch Online Expansion Pass, which is, hey, you know you're paying about two bucks a month for uh, online play in Nintendo games and some NES and uh, Super NES ROMs? Do you want N64 games and Genesis games as well? Uh, we, at this point they hadn't said how much it was going to be, but they were like, you can have those as well for a, li- a bit of a higher su- subscription. What got revealed is that that subscription is basically going to more than double the cost of your online you're paying to Nintendo oh. to get your your N sixty four games and your Genesis games. oh okay,
1: so remind me what's remind me what's available in the standard package and how much is being paid for that. Uh
2: the standard package is um online play NES ROMs, Super Nintendo ROMs, they have online play capability. You're being charged about two dollars a month. Reasonable, okay. Yeah. Um so you're now being charged about a month if you want this other form to get N64 games and Genesis games as well. I've got all of those games. Yeah,
1: that's nonsense bullshit. You know, I don't see a lot of added value there, but some people will, and I can understand, seem steep for what will be, if history is anything to go by, a very disappointing library that limps along for years.
0: Yeah, well, that's... One of the main things is you can pay this, you know, five buck a month service for a drip feed of Nintendo-selected games. Right. Mm. Or just pick up one of those Ambernicks we've been talking about on the podcast for the past few weeks. Oh,
1: the Ambernicks that still haven't sent me one, so I can't uh, talk about them on the (laughs) podcast until
0: such time as they send me one. I have every Genesis game on it. Like, Every do you think our Real Monsters is gonna be on the Nintendo Switch? Probably not. Never gonna happen. You'll get Streets of Rage and Sonic, like you do every fucking time. Yeah. You can get Urban Champion on the service right now. Who gives a shit? NES games have no monetary
2: value. So there is something else being offered as a quote-unquote value add to the subscription. And I'll before I get into the specifics. It seems big picture, like they are going to be offering as part of this subscription, access to some bigger, chunkier stuff. Uh, on your basic subscription, you occasionally got stuff like Tetris 99 and um, yeah, stuff like that. You would get like little, little online play weird games that you'd get for free. Which, and, and uh, to be fair, Nintendo does those
1: right when they do them. They tend to. They tend to make a, a product that is interesting and curious and... Uh, has something that it's bringing to the table. I don't feel bad about those in terms of being value adds at all.
2: Yeah, so here's the first one of those they have for the expansion pass. That big Animal Crossing DLC is going to be available as part of... Your Nintendo Switch Online expansion Which, you know, many of you don't play Animal Crossing If you don't play Animal Crossing, this isn't a value add Let's put that to the side for a minute Sure But if you're an Animal Crossing person, it's a really weird proposition Because you can either pay, I think it's about £25 uh, To buy the DLC outright Or you can have access to the DLC while you have a subscription to this service And there were a lot of questions initially as to what the fuck that meant, because some of the stuff in the DLC goes back to the main game, like unlocking the ability to add partition walls to your home island in the base game, for example. And they did not address for several hours what the fuck happens if you stop paying for your online subscription. Like, does Tom Nook come in and fucking knock down your partition walls and go, no, you're not allowed these, fuck off. What actually happens is that you can't go to the island and the place where the d l. c happens and you can't go do that content, so you can't go and design vacation homes for other villages. I think for most people, if you did buy a year of this subscription, you'd probably have experienced everything you'd want to in that d l c by then,
1: but that doesn't necessarily for account account for anything that is to come, right? yeah. This is, I mean, they've transformed Animal Crossing into a live service game, and they've done that effectively, you know, a few iterations ago. So that, that should surprise no one. But uh, this does add a new wrinkle to it. And I did a little quick napkin math. Even if you are only, if you're not, just just not taking on the upgrade, but you still maintain online access, the $2 a month program, in nine months, you'll have, it'll you'll have spent more ...on the subscription than you would have just buying it outright. Yeah. Now, will there be other value adds? Will there be other reasons to have this subscription? Maybe. And I will give Nintendo credit on the basis for keeping it affordable. Generally speaking, with the subscription services, now their offerings aren't grand. For sure. Won't disagree there. But when they offer stuff, it be good. And that's always been their model. It's the same reason why they don't reduce the retail price of their games, but ever. Yeah. You know, Player's Choice was, or whatever, I think it was Player's Choice was an experiment for a little while. Um, It's long long been abandoned, and they are, uh, because they recognize that their games have value, hold value, and that's going, I think that if that's the approach that they continue to take towards their small little online things at $5 a month, you can't get online access for $5 a month on the other consoles. So I do think that Nintendo offers a value proposition, but Nintendo being Nintendo, they are fucking weird and ill communicative about it.
2: Is the thing they've, somewhat shot themselves in the foot with how they've presented this because it's a really it's a really weird decision to try and make because let's say you're someone who is like yeah i know that i could just download a bunch of roms or whatever but i would like to have n64 games on my switch that would be convenient i don't want to mod it i'm happy to pay that amount you get put in a weird position as an animal crossing person where you're like i want to own the dlc but there's no point in buying it if I'm going to just have access to it through this subscription.
1: I mean, if it were me, just based on everything that I know about what's offered in a $2 package versus a $5 package right now, I would spend the $25 on the DLC and keep a $2 subscription. Yeah. No?
2: I mean, here's the thing. I personally agree, but like, here's what I think is missing. If they'd presented this as... Because right now they're presenting this DLC as, like, a huge component of why you're paying $5 a month. Right. And they're not, they haven't they haven't so much as said, there will be other things of this scale every... A, a, a couple of times a year to justify your purchase or something like that, to go, you if you are someone who gets everything Nintendo that comes out, you will be paying less this way than yeah. with purchase. Like, they've not presented that. They've not said... If you buy the DLC and then decide to upgrade your subscription, you'll get a discount on your subscription because that value add is gone, or vice versa. If you have the subscription, you can buy the DLC to keep it a discount. There's none of that going on. I think, well, there there might be some of that to come then.
1: And I, I think I, I, I would... I, I'm curious to see then what the response is because Nintendo has stepped in it many times in the past. And they are smart enough to know when they've stepped in it real bad and turn around and and give a little something up to placate the masses. And they they tend to be
2: good at it when it's truly serious for them. I mean, response to this has been real rough and I understand it. Like, the, the biggest issue is communication. Like, they have taken what could have been a slam dunk win and may because like here's the thing i was reacting to this this direct live on twitch and everyone was like super on board it's like oh hell yeah free update of all the things we asked for oh this dlc looks really substantial i'll definitely like i'll happily pay another game's worth of money to pick this up like everyone was so on board and then the weird messaging just completely killed the excitement flat Because they so poorly explained what the fuck was happening. I've said it before and
1: I'll say it again. A big swinging dick is very easy to trip on.
2: Nintendo is very prone to having an idea that is very novel and assuming that everyone will understand what it is without explaining it. Like, it's the Wii U problem. It's, oh yeah, we're introducing essentially rental of DLC, but we're not going to answer any of your questions about how rental of DLC is going to work. And that just left a void for everyone to be very confused and unhappy.
1: Well, I'm glad you explained it to me, Laura. Thank you. I was very confused. Do you feel like you understand
2: vaguely what happened now?
1: Yeah, and, and now I can forget any of it happened and move on with my life.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We got one quick thing to finish on. You know how the Steam Deck is that little handheld from Valve that's come in, like, early next year? Yeah. Apparently Valve is, re- is reviewing the entire Steam catalog to have a rating system for Steam Deck, with the intention being that games will have a little rating system and you will be told whether a game is verified, playable, unsupported, or unknown. But the idea is obviously to give a general idea of, of like, yeah to to get um the verified tag which is your like this will guaranteed work <laughs> perfect on your steam deck it should like the inputs should work properly it should be a seamless experience booting it up on the handheld work well with the display um like not have any performance issues basically hey ha- how's this gonna work on your set ha- hardware that we've sold you
1: you know what i love about this yeah you know what it reminds me of It makes me think of when I hear about a rating system like this. yeah, I think about uh, the emulation scene, and uh if you go to a uh, go poke around just a little tiny bit for any any emulator related resources, you will find these compatibility lists, yeah, that users and developers have put together, outlining in such incredible specificity how well something runs on a particular emulator um with you know specs for comparison in case it's hardware related issues and I mean and this is going to be standard hardware so it'll be easy for for Valve to reflect that but but boy it just it makes me think about emulation yeah right <laughs> and and how easily the community and people banded together to create something valuable and useful in a space where there was a need. And it's nice to see, uh, because I cannot help but think that that kind of approach is being used as as a reference point. For what Valve is going to do here. I know I'm assuming there, but Mm -hmm. it just it feels right to me. And that also feels right to me in a capitalistic society. So uh, all around, good job. Thumbs up. No notes. And no, it's necessary for for what they're doing. and, And I'm glad that they're doing it. I'm glad that they're not leaving it up to the community entirely to do it. Even if they are just creating an infrastructure within Steam by which the community can then execute on that design, they're more than capable of handling that element of it um, but it's, it is nice for them to have a system in place yeah. and presumably developers will have access or publishers will be able to put information in that will help determine compatibility in a way that works very seamlessly and god bless them godspeed
2: mm. I will say this, the main thought I had reading this story was this is a thing that those steam boxes really could have used oh yes Oh yes. It was a, This was a thing that definitely hurt them, and I think that I'm. I, I'm glad that they've noticed for this.
1: <laughs> I think they also recognize that there's a bigger market opportunity for this than the Steam machines.
2: Yeah, because portability. Yeah, is a big market.
0: Yeah. So it got me to give a shit about a Steam,
2: you know, console,
0: you know. Bit of hardware. I I
2: like playing games on a handheld. It's nice. Sound like the game. Mm-hmm. The Steam machines. That was them
1: faffing about with uh, manufacturing partnerships. It was uh, to I think no small degree about the controller and about um, really introducing themselves as a big hardware player that could then do VR. Um, I, I don't think that I feel like the steam machines themselves were internally always intended as a stepping stone because they made no real effort to push them once the headlines about them releasing faded away from view. Uh, I, I, I think that that was always um, more of an image marketability approach to position them as consumer products company, uh, which may have helped. May have worked to some extent. The VR's done very well. Uh but uh this this actually feels like a consumer product that they are putting force behind.
2: Agreed. Yeah. I think that's everything we had on the list for this week, if we're all, all good, all done. Yeah. 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 Uh
0: Laura. Me? When you when you're not being offered magical wish chalices that aren't even fucking chalices. Shall right. mm. <laughs> do do? Uh, I show? Shall I show? Shall I show? Shall I show?
2: Shall I show? I show? Shall I show? I show? a I it It's Shall I 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 show? Shall I show? The ways that they are bad To the people that work for them And the, the, the people that buy the games Definitely fictional Very fictional I have to stress that this is fiction uh, You can pre-order it uh, on Unbound If you go to unbound.com and search uh, Who hunts the whale You'll find it there uh, Other than that I've got a video I really want people to check out that'll be up by the time this video goes up. It is out on youtube.com slash Buzz. The video is called Tetris PTSD and a Study into Improved Trauma Recovery. It is a really in-depth video I've been working on for a while. I'm really proud of digging into a study that a lot of gaming sites ran headlines around last summer about Tetris being used as part of therapy for t- PTSD. And it debunks a lot of the simplification of... um video games websites presenting it as oh yeah Tetris will cure your PTSD and instead it goes like, look, okay, what did the study actually say? What do you have to do with Tetris to have that effect? What good things does that bring, but also what limitations are there to that? Go watch it, I'm so proud of it. I've worked really hard on this one. Other than that, Laura K buzz everywhere. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon, all that sort of stuff. Uh Comrade, yeah. what do you do?
1: Oh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. At Conrad Zimmerman or on Twitch at that Conrad Zimmerman uh I do that usually three four nights a week, but uh not 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 so much this week, I should be back on Friday, so by the time you hear this, hey, maybe come come and hang out with me there uh i uh. Make anti-capitalist propaganda that you can buy at pinfultruth.com or at thegymporium.com, and there's going to be some new stuff real soon there. Mm. And you can support everything I do directly through Patreon at patreon.com/fistshark, and you know who else has a Patreon? Who? James Stephanie Sterling.
0: Yeah. Oh. oh, hell yeah! Hell yeah! Patreon.com slash Jimquisition, that plays for this and that and the other. Uh, Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling, that is some live streams that I do sometimes. Um Thursday, the day this comes out, Thursday 21st of October, airing at 8pm Eastern on the Enjoy Wrestling YouTube channel, is episode one of Night Moves, uh, their latest uh, season of wrestling shows. Uh, it will be kicked off by me and my team. Uh, I'll be managing... um People who I've worked with many times before, David Lawless, the gavel, Mr. Grimm, the hitman for hire, and The Runway, a.k.a. Tyler Klein and Calvin Couture. I am uh, managing them against a team that enjoy wrestling set up because they apparently don't like that, you know, we are there. No! I don't know why. I thought wrestling was for everybody. But that's what they say, you know. Um but apparently it's not for uh supervillains that hire their friends to beat the hell out of other people for kicks.
1: That's just discrimination.
0: Right? Right? Um it's not on at the end of the day. So, you know, are we in or out? That's the question to be answered at night moves. Uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, Thursday, October 21st on the Enjoy Wrestling YouTube channel. Uh, There will also be on November 13th at the Howe Building in Pittsburgh uh, at uh, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, If you want to come along to that, if you're in or around the Pittsburgh area, there will be the contract signing between myself and Brandon Kay for the I Quit match that will determine who uh, has power at Rise and who gets to own it uh, on December 11th. So there you go October 21st Enjoy Wrestling YouTube channel Is Night Moves And Saturday November 13th At the Howl Building In Pittsburgh It is Me live uh, That you can come see If you want Or can Or what have you uh, And that's it For now uh, Thank you so much Everybody uh, Who is Listening right now uh, All the way to the end Well done you You've got better Attention span Than I have uh, I can't listen to Anything including myself For five minutes So give yourself a go star and we will see you next week
1: bye bye bye